This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horn 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Let's not waste any time and get right into it. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, thank you so much for supporting Longhorn Blitz. There's a few different ways you can get the podcast, but the best way is to anywhere you get your podcasts, whatever your favorite podcast platform is, go there, search for Horns 24-7. That's Horns 247, no dashes, slashes, or spaces. Click that follow button whenever the podcast feed pops up and you get every episode of The Blitz whenever it drops. And if you'd be so kind, please leave us a five-star. We greatly appreciate it. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? I'm locked in, and I cannot complain today. A man who uh, also... I never really hear him complain at all, but uh, a little Super Bowl travel might have him uh, on the recovery track this week. But he wears many hats. He's busy as it is. But for the purposes of this podcast, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to the 40 acres where he earned his degree. Whenever that team ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU. And when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Rod B, how are you, sir? I'm doing good, man. Appreciate the uh, the intro as always. It was fantastic. Uh, probably not as fantastic as uh, as you told Matt and I before we got on your fourth Super Bowl. So how was the, how was the Super Bowl Las Vegas style? Uh, oh man, um, it was. I'll imagine it'll be back in Vegas probably within five years. I mean, it was it was a grand slam home run. It was. I've been to four of them. Um, you know, like I said I, I went to one of them when I wasn't even like 21. So that was, <laughs> I think that was a little different, but man, it, that I've never been to a Super Bowl that, that was that jacked up. You know, I mean, Vegas puts everything on steroids. So yeah. Vegas going to soup up every damn thing. It, it was as souped up as it could get, man. That was, that was a great, and hell, the game was fantastic. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about that, but in terms of the, uh, the atmosphere, um, I never been to anything like that, and it makes sense. There was just so many people from everywhere because everybody can fly to Vegas, right? Every yeah. damn major city's got a straight flight to Vegas, and it felt like that. It was, it was like I said, I, I haven't been to a Super Bowl like that, and it makes sense. I hadn't been to Vegas. I don't think I've been to Vegas when it's been that hype, and I don't go to Vegas a lot. I mean, that's probably my 
I don't know what six or seven times in Vegas, but I don't think I've been to Vegas when it's been that hype. I ain't been to a Super Bowl that's that been that hype. Um, I mean, I I was saying at one point I was in a room, not a room, but it was like a, a Vegas part, like a Vegas, like you know, a party pretty much. It was mm-hmm. in the wind, and they had there there was like a a club in the wind hotel, and that's what we were at, and. It was at least five NFL owners just like in the room. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, dude. It was it, it was that was on some it was some it was on something different. Yeah, that was that was legit. That was on something else. Um mm-hmm. so it was it was wild. That was that was a great Super Bowl and the game was fantastic. But the um the atmosphere, I think Vegas is gonna have them back soon. And I think they'll of course they'll be back in within five years, is my is my prediction. Sound yeah, like, uh, the stories coming out of it sound similar to back. I think it was 07 was whenever the one time the NBA put their all-star game there and they have like a whole week when all the yeah. players are off. So everybody was there and they just called it a hip hop, hip hop Woodstock was basically the way that like the column on ESPN. I remember reading described it and saying it was just Hunter S. Thompson's dream sports weekend. So if you were to add the Super Bowl out there where it's the world's biggest game, not just say like culturally a lot of guys that love to go to Vegas and play and party, they, that couldn't be a better combination. Yeah, I mean, I went to the H-Town Super Bowl because that was it. That was in my hood, and I was in the league at the time. I went to the, the Detroit Super Bowl. So I was in Detroit, and it was in Detroit. So, you know, that was going to be hype. Uh, and my first Super Bowl was the Atlanta, like that Super Bowl in Atlanta, actually the Ray Lewis one, uh, Ray Lewis murder trial Super Bowl, whatever. Google it if you don't know what you're talking about, kids. But still, that was my first one. But I, and Atlanta is Atlanta, man. It's Atlanta. I mean, you know, Atlanta's gonna be live, and yeah. I still like I don't know if I experienced a Super Bowl like this. I don't know if I've been to one I, that that was this live. And I went to I went to some live, went to some good cities. Yeah. Hey Rod, do you remember? Uh... You remember the Rams linebacker who made the uh, the tackle on Kevin Dyson that won the Rams that Super Bowl? Who? Mike Jones. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> got to shout out your hometown every every time we get a chance, Rod. Got to represent. Yeah, man. No, but right. I, I mean that was a great Super Bowl. Like I said, that yeah. was that was my first. That was a that was an amazing Super Bowl. It really and, was. And you got a you got a walk off in in this Super Bowl. Uh, you know. I will. Uh, we never talk too much about the game specifically because this is the, a Longhorn football podcast. But I got four things I want to bounce off you guys, and I'll I'll just lay them out and then let you guys take it however you want. We I always try to find some Texas related takeaways from the Super Bowl, and I, I could have really looked at it from a a play calling aspect because I know we know Sark likes the the Shanahan offense that you know Mike McDaniel and Matt Lafleur and Sean McVay are running kind of their version of it. Sark tries to do the same thing put his spin on some of those concepts but here are the four things i really took away from number one uh jeff banks is worth every penny well we'll just go one by one i won't lay them all out jeff banks is worth every penny he's being paid uh because you better be buttoned up on special teams when you get to that level of football when you get to a a championship type game a championship environment a championship is on the line uh because honestly man special teams probably you can you can say it cost san francisco it cost kyle shanahan a super bowl a blocked extra point and then somebody not hearing a peter call on a punt return 
uh, you know, Texas, even in the five and seven year guys, Texas was pretty buttoned up in the kicking game. And, uh, you know, we'll see how some of the new additions, you know, like the, the you know, having a true freshman punter, how that's going to work out this fall. But with the way they're recruiting and the kind of depth they have on this roster, there's no reason why Texas shouldn't have the best return and coverage units, that combination in the country, or at least be in that discussion for the foreseeable future. Uh, I just think it, it, it Texas, their ability to change games in the kicking game, don't underestimate that because it's one of those things you don't really think about until it just goes terribly wrong for you like it did for, for Kyle Shanahan on Sunday. Yeah, no, I agree with you, brother. We talked about that on the show. I think that extra point, I mean, you might be talking about the biggest play of the game. Yeah. Block extra mm-hmm. point. Uh, so I agree with you. I mean, trust me, one of many things that I think the – that that were miscalculations or kind of shortcomings for for the uh, what could the Shanna Horns what should have been the Shanna Horns uh, first title. Um, so yeah, man, I, I agree that Jeff Banks has been the best coordinator in the most consistent phase for Texas since Sark got here. It ain't been offense, and that Sark's at Sark's domain, and it ain't been defense, which is I, I love PK. I think PK is fantastic, uh, but the the, beat, the the defense now is starting to play their best football. Um, now that Sark has all of his pieces in place, now Sark can, you know, bring this offense to an elite. Uh, that's what he's trying to do, take it to an elite level. Um, but, I mean, Jeff Banks, he's been the best coordinator there at Texas um, since they got there and the most consistent. And he did it not necessarily with all the pieces that he needed, just as a great coach, find a way to solve problems and still had one of the best special teams units in the country each of the last three years. So I'm with you. I'm a big Jeff Banks fan. Everybody knows that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he made – I mean, that Leo Chanel made a great play. Again, that block was such a huge one where that one turns the game from being a four-point game to a three-point game. And it's a little bit of a side track, but just Chanel, the type of game that that dude had, who's a guy that plays a position that's like – the least premium of the – he's that third linebacker that's on the field, but he's also the one that punches out the ball early on in the game and forces a fumble on McCaffrey and then comes through with the big playing special teams, a starter that's also in on special teams with the block kick. The other thing was, uh, yeah, you guys hit it. There's not much else to talk about. This is one where I don't know how you guys will feel about this, but – there's always that adage of, hey, you run the ball, you stop the run, you win along the lines of scrimmage, you win games. That's true. But I think the elite teams, the championship teams, I think it comes down to protectors and disruptors. You know, Texas has done a lot to change how, where they are from the standpoint of protectors. And, you know, we'll see where the ceiling ultimately resides. But under Kyle Flood, guys, the floor for the Texas offensive line has gone up significantly since this staff got here and they started recruiting offensive linemen. I don't think there's a question about that. I think what separated Texas from Washington in that Sugar Bowl, the, the main separation between the two, and, and one of them is the other thing I'm going to mention here in a minute, uh, you know, Washington had – Washington's disruptors had more of an impact on the game than Texas did. Texas did. We talked about the edge – issues that texas had just you know you really don't have a dynamic guy on the edge that's why you went in the portal and got trade more you went and got colin simmons uh in your 2024 high school recruiting class and i was just i was amazed guys at the body san francisco was able to roll in there i mean when you can 
when you can have Nick Bosa on the field, you know, there's a lot of teams that might have one elite rusher, but man, then you come back, you can come back with Chase Young. Randy Gregory's not what he used to be, but for 12 snaps a game, can still be a productive pass rusher. And then the Chiefs to be without Charles Amenahu and still be able to get the kind of pressure they got on Brock Purdy with Chris Jones leading the charge. It just shows you, man, it, you can have one, but you've got to have multiple guys on your defensive front that are disruptors and by proxy your offensive line has to have elite protectors to keep them off of your quarterback. Yeah, that's a little that that that's that's a little more complicated because it's you know the Chris Jones is just a war daddy, right? So Chris mm-hmm. Jones, even he had no sacks in that game, but man, there were several hmm. I was there watching and Man, Brock Purdy had a touchdown for Debo, schemed wide open mm-hmm. uh, by the system. And if he just had a little bit more time, I mean, that's that's dialed up. That's a touchdown. 49ers win that game. Yeah. Right? It's, 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 it's that close. But Chris Jones on the whole plays, he applied just enough pressure where Brock Purdy had to get rid of the ball a little too soon. Um, half a second too soon, ball's overthrown, incompletion, moving on. Kick a yeah. field goal. Right, it's just, and that was that was another, that was a Brandon Ayuk. Two uh, of them died. Yeah, exactly. They were the same exact type plays, and and Chris Jones once again was able to apply just enough pressure. You know that, you know, having got a, a war daddy like that, you know, that's that would be just one of these players, and it happened. We saw it with Devondre Sweat, and we saw it with Byron Murphy. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be the hope that you get somebody out there who just refuses to be blocked yeah. and on a consistent basis that they become a war daddy where hey, it, it's going to take a double team and even a double team ain't going to guarantee you that you're going to be able to neutralize that threat. I mean, that's what Chris Junk Jones represents. <laughs> and he, I mean, there are, he's now two, two of those three Super Bowls. Honestly, I, they don't win them with, without plays. Just I remember off the top of my head that Chris Jones made in the yeah. games late in clutch time uh so that's and i think spagnola knows he has that kind of guy so you know he's got some between being able to play a lot of man coverage which they did they played they played uh i mean that was they probably played 65 percent man coverage in that game that's not you got to break tennis in big games and that's really not what kansas city does they usually play a lot of zone on the back side of those uh, blitz packages. They decided to play a lot of man that was the tendency breaker it made sense too right make brock Purdy beat you Make Brock Purdy take away the easy completions, take away the the simple stuff, and make and, and with pressure that Chris Jones can apply. Going back to your point, let's see if Brock Purdy can just make the throws. Yeah, let's see if Brock Purdy can make the throws. And time and time again, that's what Spagnola proved. And and listen, Brock didn't play bad, but there are some times no. where Spags Spags sits the way the Spags was calling the game. Steve Spagnola, I'm talking about the defense coordinator for Kansas City. He was going to force Brock Purdy to beat him. I need Brock Purdy to make a great throw. I need Brock Purdy to do something superhuman. I need him to put a cape on. And there were just times where he could not do it. He just could not put that cape on. That's not really him. And they don't ask him to be that. They want a game-managing point guard 
And I, that, and once again, I think kind of came back to hunt him because, and there were some moments going against that guy. When you're going against Patrick Mahomes, when you're going against that dude, look yeah. at all the defensive linemen you just talked about. San Francisco's been stockpiling for years since San, since my boy Shannon got there. His number one priority has been stockpile D linemen, stockpile mm-hmm. pass rushers, stockpile, stockpile pass rushers. Even stockpiling, man. Nobody in the league's got more great pass rushers than the 49ers right now. But it didn't. That didn't matter. That didn't matter because when you're going against Patrick Mahomes, the number one thing that you're going to have to have goes back to a lesson for Texas too. Because at one point, we played elite elite quarterback. They lost to elite quarterbacks this year. Yeah. All right. They lost to Penix when he was playing at an elite level. They lost to Dylan Gabriel when he was playing at an elite level. All right. To win a championship, you're probably going to beat an elite quarterback. All right. And to beat an elite quarterback, a quarterback who's playing at an elite level, your quarterback's going to have to take their game to the next level. Right. And that's what I don't think Brock Purdy could do. Um, I don't think he, uh, you know, he maybe he will later on in his career, but he couldn't put the cape on. And we saw Patrick Mahomes throw on that cape like he always does. And I think that's, you know, San, San Fran, I mean, double digit leads. Uh, every time my boy Shannon has been in the Super Bowl, but he's been going against the dudes with the capes every time. Yeah. Tom yep. Brady with the cape on, Mahomes twice puts the cape on. I love him, but you got to go find a quarterback with a cape, right? You got to, mm-hmm. man. That's what you missing against that guy. That's the case. Now we're in a different era of football. It'd be fun, but that dude is in. He's playing at a different level, man. He's he's right now halfway to where Tom Brady is. He's he's trying to go catch the goat. And he's not even really in his prime yet. You you still got time. So um, Shano, go get a, go get a, go get a quarterback with a cape. You can you can ride this Brock Purdy thing out. It's it's cool. You got time. Hell, Andy Reid was considered a, a coach who couldn't win it all until he found the guy with the cape. Right? Yeah. <laughs> until, until they got that guy. So I, I just you know I think he still got a he still got a real good shot to win it next year uh, with Brock Purdy. He really does. But man, not in the Patrick Holmes era, which you are now in. And he's gonna be the man for another twelve years or so. You, yeah, you might want to think about switching up and go find another dude with a cape, win a superhero type, you know, world now where Lamar Jackson ain't good enough in the postseason and Josh Allen ain't good enough in the postseason. You know, Joe Burrow is the guy that got a cape. You know what I mean? So when Joe would have pointed yeah. out, he can't. You got to go get a dude with a cape. And I'm not sure Brock Purdy is. Yeah, and that's where, like, when you look at just the resume from Mahomes, it's crazy because he has one year when he got to the Super Bowl and lost to Brady, one year where he lost to Burrow in the championship, and other than that, he has, like, just won them all. And his DVO, it's absurd when you look at the EPA, and it's not an exaggeration. He's literally won every other game ever in the playoffs other than those two years when he lost to those two dudes. It's just unbelievable, and when – you look at what he did to what did he replace? He sort of replaced what was Brock Purdy. Alex Smith went 14 and 2 the year before Mahomes showed up. They were the one seed, 14 and 2. And Brock Purdy sort of plays that Alex Smith game. And he had that system running well there in Kansas City, but they were able to find a guy that they were like, nah, I think he's going to be able to replace replace this guy. And that's where next year, Brock Purdy, his salary goes from being what, 985000 They're like $1.1 million. You still get that rookie deal so you can pay all those other dudes that we just talked about, all the skill guys. But then when it gets to that extension mode, 
that's whenever you maybe we start talking about what do we do here? Because for now, they can fill the roster with all those guys the way that even KC had to make a different decision. It was about Tyreek Hill and letting him go. It's like, how about that? You let Tyreek Hill go and you win back-to-back Super Bowls. Who would have saw that coming? But that money's been allocated to rookie contracts on the defense and being able to fill everything out and pay a guy like Chris Jones. People forget he sat out and watched from the booth that game one that Kelsey was out injured when they lost to the Lions. It was because they were still talking about his contract this year, but they got Chris Jones's contract done. And you brought up the Debo play in the right corner of the end zone where every time it seemed as if you had a play call that was queued up, not only did Spags have the right pressure, but it had the right coming exactly where the play was designed to go. Both of the times to Ayuk, you had the blitzer coming through free, or you had Ayuk wide open on a slant down the middle, and that's when Chris Jones blows it up from the middle. Another play where Chris Jones on another slant in overtime ends up blowing up what a wide open Ayuk. Then you were able to bring a blitzer in the second on the last third and four that made them settle for the field goal. And that was the blitz coming from the side where Ayuk was at. So the throwing lanes on all those plays were disrupted. And we've seen that in these timing offenses. We saw it a lot at times with say Texas, uh, one of them was against Washington, the throwing lanes, like understanding that these offenses that get the ball out on times, it happened a lot to Tua against Spags also in that game that was freezing cold and frigid, but these offenses where you have to get the ball out on time and you can sort of read the eyes and understand where the concepts are going based on player personnel and then reading the quarterback and these great pass rushers, either you're able to get there and disrupt the rhythm of those throws, or you can have a well-timed blitz come in and always have like, say that off arm up and be able to deflect them. And Spags, he did a great job of marrying his coverages with his rushes. And he's done. I mean, he's the one that ended Brady in 07, the perfect team they would have went undefeated and then he did it again with this Chiefs team over and over and over just one of the best D coordinators we've ever seen you know obviously you'd love to have somebody like Chris Jones in the middle of your defense uh, regardless of what level of football you're talking about but I, I think it's more it's more when you talk about Texas I just think it's more feasible to kind of do the San Francisco model where you just load up on talented guys that you feel like can get the job done. I mean, you do run the risk of, Hey man, sometimes if you're facing an elite quarterback, like you said, Rod, he's just going to make a couple of plays just because he's that guy. But, you know, always being, especially in the league, you're about to go into the more you can just kind of run in defensive linemen, not just your interior guys, but all, all your, your entire front four, the more you can run those guys in and shifts, and not feel like you're you're slipping much from your number ones to your number twos, and then you can mix and match situationally, and then you, as you, as you go along in the game, I, that model to me is more it's more sustainable. It's more of a realistic model than you know hoping. Okay, let's just hope we have you know somebody like Byron Murphy or Andre Sweat come along, and then and then we'll be good. We all think Alfred Collins can be one of those guys, but I just think almost treat it like uh, like hockey line shifts with your defensive lineman. I just think, I, I just think that model is a little more realistic. No, well, in, in the NIL era, I mean, honestly, there is no unrealistic model for Texas. Well, that's true. I'm, no, I'm serious. <laughs> like that. We, 
You know, I mean, it really is not. I mean, they could stockpile as many of those great linemen and get a Chris Jones if they wanted to. That's the that's the in our world we live in now. That's the reality. Yeah, yeah. I you know, but the bottom line is we've talked about it too. Talked about it after the Sugar Bowl. We talked about it on signing day that you know having impact edge rushers basically you know bolstering that defensive line. It shouldn't just be oh well, Sweat and Murphy are gone. Let's wait another three or four years before you have a productive defensive line. No, you can you can have a productive defensive line that wins you games next year. It's just going to be a, a different way it's put together. Yeah. I agree so, that. There's that. I, I do want to mention the quarterback thing because that was another thing. But, Rod, we, I forgot. It's been years. We, we had this conversation where uh, you don't you – know, the shutdown corner, you know, could you still have shutdown corners in football – and if there's one thing yep. I would maybe criticize, might even be too harsh of a word, but just question why Kyle Shanahan did what he did. The fact that they kept testing and going after Trent McDuffie as often as they did. I mean, McDuffie and Sneed, I don't know if that's the best corner tandem in the NFL, but find me a better one. But to me, it reinforced, all right, we could talk about pressure. We could talk about other things. Until Texas gets guys that can cover at an elite level, I don't want to say the pass rush thing and the pressure thing and the disruption thing is moot, but your pass rush will be a lot more effective if you've got guys who are elite in coverage and your elite cover guys might actually be able to make plays on the ball, make game-changing plays if you've got that pressure. They feed off of each other, but it just reinforced to me, Rod, the need for Texas to to be great again at the corner position. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's Brett Veach, the GM which might be the best GM in the league right now, uh, mm-hmm. the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, he 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 has a special like uh, kind of offseason habit. He'll just pick whatever is the worst position group um, in the all like on the roster, and he'll just remake the whole damn thing in offseason. It's pretty mm-hmm. fascinating. I don't think I've ever said anything like it. Uh, he did it with the offensive line after the, they lost the Super Bowl to the Bucks, and he did it with the secondary. Um, like a, the, the three drafts ago, did it with a couple of drafts ago. He did it with the secondary, and mm-hmm. he, he's probably gonna do it with the wide receiving room actually this offseason yeah. for the Kansas City Chiefs. And he just decided he was he was gonna prioritize coverage, right? He was gonna prioritize coverage. There's a there's a grand uh, debate going on in the NFL and has for the last decade. You know, are you in a salary cap league because you can't have everything. Um, do should you decide to prioritize and emphasize and pay money on, and spend draft capital on coverage or on pressure? Right, which one matters most in football in modern football? There is no right or wrong answer, uh, but it's an interesting conversation. And some coaches choose coverage, like Belichick is a guy that would pay coverage, yeah. I right? think all the secondary guys he's brought in throughout the years, he really doesn't pay pressure, he believes my coverage can create pressure. All right, so he's one mm-hmm. of those guys. My coverage will mm-hmm. create my pressure. Uh, Shano is different. <clears throat> Shano stockpiles pass rushers. So he believes, no, 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 pressure. Like, look at his secondary. Anybody press with the San Francisco 49ers secondary? No. Exactly. <laughs> they don't really, this secondary is not necessarily full of any brand name players or recognizable players. Uh, no, because they don't necessarily prioritize coverage. They prioritize pressure. Pressure will lead to better coverage 
All right? So you, you either believe coverage will lead to better pressure or you believe pressure is going to lead to better coverage in the NFL because, like I said, it's a salary cap league. NIL world that college football is, you can afford to stack your roster however the hell you want to. So it's a different world altogether. Uh, but Brett Veach um, has, you know, he's interesting because we'll see if they pay Chris Jones. Chris Jones, they haven't paid Chris Jones yet. Yeah. And Chris Jones wants to be paid. They should pay Chris Jones. Um, but, you know, hey, let Tyreek Hill go because he figured, nah, you know what, we don't need Tyreek Hill. And he's right from that standpoint. What does he believe about coverage and pressure? He's got some really good players. So he's drafting like Jerry Sneed and um, you know, Trent McDuffie. I wonder what they'll decide now to do with those kind of guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you look at what they've done, I mean, LeJarius Sneed's like the best shutdown corner like in the league this era of players. If you just look by the numbers, just like in recent weeks leading up to, and I'm going to pull the numbers off the wall real quick because I still have them up here. But here's just some of the receivers he went up against in the last month of the season. De- uh, Devontae Adams, six targets, one reception for four yards. Uh, Chase, seven Targets, four receptions for 31 yards. Diggs, in the second round, had eight targets, three receptions, 21 yards. You know, Waddle was held to two for 31. Like, if you look up and down, the even the first time, like one of the biggest games that he allowed all year was Devontae Adams. Uh, the game, I guess it was on Christmas, he had five for 73. But then before that, A.J. Brown in the game against the Eagles, four for one reception for eight yards. Like, Legereus Sneed just is insane. And then when you can couple him with a guy like McDuffie, both of them are really physical. And then you have safeties behind them where, like, in man coverage, Edwards this year, an NFL passer rating of 59.6. His zone coverage passer rating allowed was 64.6. Yeah, Justin Reed was a man coverage, uh, 75 NFL passer rating. Zone NFL passer rating was 82.9. So, like, you have guys all across the board where McDuffie was the one that he's going to be able to run around and get physical with a guy like Debo. Your other guys can cover like hell. They all tackle really well. It's just a great marriage that he has from the front to back. And, and I mean, hell, the 49ers, they're – their best DBs, one of the leftover pieces from the Chiefs with Chavarius Ward. And Ward did a really good job at times this year. But like you still saw, and it's the same thing that we talked about. The, what did it all come down to on the final play? There was understanding motion. And they had, you know, between Ward and Logan Ryan, who they just signed off the street to be able to fill a hole there uh, at, at safety. And like, you have that same corndog play where you have a guy in motion, and once he, you have Ward taking the outside receiver, and you have one, two, three. The second McCall Hardman gets inside of Kelsey, you're thinking he's motioning too, but the second the ball snapped at the perfect time, he runs back out and becomes that one again, and it gets confusion just on Ward. And you can tell, just look at J- Jason Kelsey or Travis Kelsey, the second that he realizes. Ward is sticking on me and he isn't going back outside to the one. He doesn't even run his route. He just looks up at the board to see McColl catch the ball because he knows the game's over the second that Ward is with him and not carrying the outside guy. And that just is where they want it last year. Just little tiny wrinkles and little tiny rules of coverages. And if you aren't just buttoned up on every single play, one little minor mistake like that with the 49ers ends up being the thing that costs you down in the red zone. Rod, do you have expectations for next year? I guess what are your expectations for, let's assume it's, it's Terrence Brooks 
and Manny Muhammad are, are your corner duo to enter the year. And I, I don't see why they wouldn't be. What's your expectations for those guys? Where, where, where is – I don't know if you want them to be in the top quarter of SEC tandems or, you know, among the best. Like, I, What are your expectations right now for those two? Um, I mean, I, I have high expectations for, for both of those guys. I mean, I think Malik Muhammad's a, a fabulous young uh, coverage corner. I do. I think he's got a lot of raw material mm-hmm. uh, to work with. I mean, he's got, he's got a tremendous upside. He's got – and he's – you know, he, he's, he's confident. He should be. I mean, he's one of the only guys that actually almost made a play in the, uh, in the sugar bowl on one of those footballs. Cause he's got great range as yeah. a corner. Um, and I think he's a ball hawk. I think, he's, you know, I usually throw guys into multiple categories or, you know, is he a, a, a disruptor a technician ball hawk? You know, those are three, three of uh, others categories where you start like evaluating guys and, I, I think he's a ball hog and I think he's a technician. Um, that to me is a great combination at an outside corner position. So I'm a big Manny Muhammad fan. I think he actually could end up being, you know, an all, you know, he really could compete to be an all conference uh, caliber defender. Um, may, it may be as early as next year, you know, but I, I, th- th- that, that's my, that would be the hope is mm-hmm. that he takes that kind of leap at one point during the season. Um, Terrence Brooks is a guy I've been saying this for a while. I think he can play damn near any position in secondary. When Ohio State recruited him, they recruited him to play DB. Yeah, uh, they they actually weren't sure, and he talked about that how they weren't were they how they weren't sure exactly where they were going to play him. Um, I talked to his dad. His dad says he can play any position in secondary. I know that's the case just because of the uh, the football IQ passed on. His dad dad played in the NFL. Was the NFL guys a footwork coach. So he's got great natural technique. Um, and what I said, low buzz game is actually something I don't see more of, which is versatility. I think they should cross train him at nickel. Uh, I think he, that, that, you know, when he, he actually mm-hmm. he would naturally kind of um, transition there too, for your manufactured depth. But I do think he's that talented as a guy that can play multiple positions in the secondary Um corner. I think for him, uh, the challenge is is going to be um, at the line of scrimmage, right? I know he's got great footwork, but he needs to start getting his hands on guys. That's what Manny Muhammad does really, really yeah. well. Tries to get his hands on guys at the line of scrimmage. At times, I see my man Terrence Brooks just try to get in these foot races, and eh, you know, I'm sure you, I'm sure he's got the speed. All right, I don't know what his straight line four speed is, but man, that is uh, doing that all throughout a game. That's definitely going to get you in trouble. I would like to see him get his hands on guys more and try to reroute them. I know he's got it in him because he's got footwork and he's got patience, um, but he needs to start working on his hand placement. Yeah. You start working on getting his hands on guys and not locking your hips when you're doing it, getting your hands up, keeping your hips open, being able to jab at guys, stab at guys, get that hand back, and then be able to still reroute and, and get multiple shots on guys at the line of scrimmage. And I yeah. never, I don't think I've ever seen him get multiple shots on the guy at the line of scrimmage, and that's what you you want. I mean, Ryan Watts was great at it, but Ryan Watts downfield he would struggle. I think Terrence Brooks will be fine downfield. What I want him to do is start working on, you know, rerouting guys, redirecting receivers. That's a pretty valuable tool, Rod, in the toolbox that you're not using. And I mean. I don't know. I, I know Terrence Brooks doesn't need anybody to tell him you know, the finer points of playing a corner because, like you said, his dad has worked with him probably since he was in the crib. But, you know, you're shrinking your own margin for error 
right? When you're just doing it one way, what you're talking about, you, you greatly increase your margin for error. Yep. Yeah. No, I told you, I just, uh, I, I think that should be his challenge to see how much throughout a game he can get to see his hands on guys. Yeah. And, and I think mo I think a lot of that is patience and, but I think a lot of it's leverage. And I, I, I'll say this about all the damn corners, probably except for Jade Barron. I don't, you know, I don't like their leverage. I've been talking about that for years. Like, man, mm -hmm. play with better leverage. Look at the situation, the circumstance, where you're on the field, use the sideline, play with leverage. And I don't see them play with, I, you play with hard leverage. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like you be over, overemphasize the leverage, whatever it is. And I don't see enough. And if you overemphasize the leverage enough, trust me, the receiver throughout the game, they will adjust their release. And then you'll be able to adjust your technique, right? You'll be able to kind of, you know, you'll be able to flash with them a little bit better at the line of scrimmage. You'll be able to follow them, their release off the line of scrimmage because they won't start, they won't be challenging your leverage. They get, they get mauled a couple of times trying to challenge your leverage. They won't do it again. Yeah. They won't do it. Their coach will start yelling at them. They won't, they won't play. All right. They, so they'll just get in chicken fights with you and that ain't their job as a receiver. So yeah. I think you should emphasize more leverage. I don't think we do that enough if you're a Texas. If I gave you a hypothetical, Rod, where I said you're, you're starting secondary in terms of your two corners and your nickel, it's going to be Muhammad and Barron at corner with Brooks at nickel. How's that grab you? Uh, oh, I like that. I don't, I don't mind that at all. I really don't. I, I, I do think at one – now, I don't know. This is the thing about it. Terrence Brooks. I think he tackles really well, too. He's got to be willing to be physical. Mm -hmm. If they're gonna put you, you know, down at the nickel, and I think he can do that. Um, I think versatility is gonna be the future of this secondary guys. That's the reason it's Sark's buzzword in the offseason. He, yeah. he's describing that that secondary he brought in, and the, the only thing, the only term that was common among all their evaluations was really was like versatility, position flex. He kept bringing that term up. That is that is that is by design, ladies and gentlemen. That's deliberate. Yeah. He's he's got a he's got a plan, and I think the plan is we need DBs, not just a guy that says he's a boundary corner and a field corner, and this guy mm -hmm. only yep. plays this position that position. We need versatility in our secondary. We need guys that can play all around because essentially that is that is football now. They're just hunting matchups. We just watched it with Fan Fran. They're just hunting mm -hmm. matchups, man. So you need D, you need uh, uh, kind of a five-tool DB philosophy with a lot of guys, and that includes everybody being able to cover. Everybody yeah, and that's where to cover now. If you have a guy like Barron and a guy like Brooks, that both you can feel confident if they get engineered. Like, say the offense is trying to find a matchup and put a guy into the slot. Well, when you have two pieces that can move inside and out from the slot to corner, and you can be very confident in their skills. Not many teams, I would say almost none of the teams that you're facing are able to do those things. So your defense is going to give a predicament to that offense that they haven't been able to see. Normally, they're able to engineer those type of mismatches that they want. But if you have two guys that are plus coverage guys that you can feel comfortable to move around within the game or to follow guys in certain scenarios, like that doesn't happen much in college. So that's huge. And the numbers that I saw online for Terrence Brooks tracking when he was in high school, at least his junior year, was 11 23 two, seven, 200. So he ran he, pretty fast, but he at least does have some type of track history. You know, Rod, what you're talking about, correct me, tell me if I'm wrong, if you think I'm off. I think you, if you're a Texas fan, you kind of have to go backwards to think about it in terms of how you go forward. Like you were part of a great secondary 
in 2001. You know, mm-hmm. Quentin Jammer was a first-round pick. You had no, young Nathan Vasher was picking off everything, throwing his way. But to me, the apex of the Dwayne Aquinas secondaries at Texas, it, it was that uh, it was that 2005 secondary. You know, when you can have when your starting corners are Cedric Griffin and Terrell Brown, and your safeties are Michael Huff and Michael Griffin, and Aaron Ross is your nickel. I mean, you talk about five guys that really can pretty much play any position in the secondary. They can all cover. They can mm-hmm. all run. They're yep. all physical. I mean, that's kind of what today's secondaries needs to be. You just have five DBs on the field, and on a given down, they can really go into any of those roles based on you know, how you want to play the opponent or whatever. To me, that's, yeah. I think, what, you, what you've got to strive for. you got to strive for that kind of secondary. you got to look at that 05 secondary and say, okay, how, we might not get quite there, but the closer we get to this, the better off we're going to be. Yep, you got you. There, there are nothing but solutions on the field. Right. <laughs> yeah. No matter what problems the offense presents to you, I got solutions all around the damn field. Everywhere you look, Michael Griffin. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what I mean, you got Cedric Griffin. You got you. You start looking at uh, the way Aaron Ross was used. I mean, as a, as a I got solutions everywhere, and yeah. that's what you want to build into your defense. As many solution-oriented players because they're going to try to put you at a matchup disadvantage. And the only way for you to even those odds, and like I said, Shannon does it better than anybody. He's got positionless football, right? He's got mm-hmm. Debo. He's got Christian McCaffrey. He's got Kittle. Uh, um, he's got the most, uh, he's got the most positionless football-centric offense in all of football. And yet it did not bother Kansas City. Why? Because they got coverage guys. Yeah. All right. Everybody, they're sick, all, all throughout their secondary, their safeties, their nickels, their, their corners on that side, everybody can cover. So they're never really at a coverage disadvantage, no matter how you want to try to mix and match us. And that's what Texas had back then. And I, I remember the architect of it, you know, because Coach Aquino was all about solutions. He was like, no, 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 I need five, two DBs. Yeah. I need guys when the air raid is trying to expose my coverage liability, they realize there is there are none. And then what's their next step when they realize there's no coverage liability here? So what's your next step? Because we're we're gonna vote, we're gonna vote numbers to stop the run because everybody can cover. So everybody can yeah. go man to man and we play man to man. And what did Kansas City do? Kansas City played zero coverage, guys, 22% of the time. Zero. Yeah. They were in zero coverage. Yeah. You do you realize how confident you need to be? in your secondary to play zero coverage when you're walking the line between disaster and delight like that. Dude, that is, you're, you're coaching, you play calling that, you're calling that game high, man. You gotta be. And now, but he's, but it's not, it's not high on anything except high on the skill set and the confidence he has in his players. That's what he was high on. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Faxon knew that I can play zero coverage. Now, zero coverage, guys, easily is the most risky, most dangerous coverage in all of football. A guy trips, a guy, a guy gets beat, a guy trips. You could just have a, a, a blown coverage where a guy forgets that's not his guy. I mean, it could, it could go wrong in so many ways mm-hmm. unless you got, Guys, that you got guys that can straight up cover out there. You got guys, and we played a lot of zero cover. We played zero more zero covers than you probably should have too. But his name was called Bull Reese, and that's yeah. the way he called it sometimes. Like, nah, nah, we're just gonna cover. We're sending everybody. You know what I mean? And that's that. You gotta have confidence. Your guys are gonna hold up in coverage when you do that. But to do that twenty one percent of the time in the Super Bowl. Ooh man, that, that yeah, Spags man. is on a different level. But it shows you that Trent McDuffie and. Jerry Sneed, those guys covered skills on a different level, too. Um, that goes back to what we talked about with Brett Veach and investing in coverage. Texas can't afford to do both, 
But you can tell now they've realized you can't coach coverage. Rob, we've been saying it for the last 10 years, and now yeah. people are starting to figure it out. Man, you better go find it. Go recruit it. It's out there. There are guys that can cover, but you can't coach it. Don't be arrogant and think you can. That is hubris. You got to yeah. be able to recruit coverage, man. That's what they're doing now. They figured it out. And you can't do pass rush either. They'll figure that out too. You got to come. You got to recruit that. Certain things you can coach and certain things you got to recruit. You better recruit pass rushers. You better recruit coverage guys. You recruit speed. But everything else, you can coach up. Yeah. Yep, and that's where if you, I mean, that's where man coverage is like almost the ultimate weapon if you have the guys that you can deploy out there to do it. And that's where Texas with some of the young guys, you got to feel a little bit more confident because like if you're looking at KC, they ramped up from the beginning of the season to the end of the season. By the end of the year, they're one of the most man-heavy teams in all of football, but that's because of the confidence that you could see that Spags had in guys like Sneed and McDuffie. And when you were talking about the Texas secondary, Jeff, and just being able back in 05 to have the hybrids of players. You even had linebackers that were former safeties yeah. and Drew Kelston to be able to go out there and throw at somebody. So having that hybrid nature and having guys that are able to chip play multiple positions are so valuable. And that's where like a guy like Derek Williams was so valuable this year for Texas. Yeah. When you look at him in coverage, he was literally Texas's best guy. If you're talking man and zone, just elite numbers. And then if you were to look at just slot coverage, I pulled up the numbers and it'd be surprising. But if you look at yards per coverage snap, who was the best in all of, Texas's secondary from all players was actually Michael Taft. Michael Taft was really successful on limiting big plays. So you have a guy like him that you can feel confident that in the 46 coverage snaps that he had in the slot, he was allowing 0.26 yards per snap. Also, Jalen Ford, you had a linebacker that was very effective in coverage snaps out of the slot. And then Derek Williams, who was ahead of say Jade Barron or Jaron Thompson or Terrence Brooks. You had Derek Williams at just 1.28 yards per coverage snap. Jade Barron was at 1.53. So yeah, you have some guys and some young players and you have a guy like Derek Williams. And I, we talked about it from the beginning. It wasn't as if like he got, you know, we had a couple really good games late in the year to skew his numbers right from the very beginning. His covered snaps in man and in zone were elite. And the more he played, the more it they stayed exactly the same. And that's a sign of a really good player because a lot of the times whenever you get that added volume, you'll see those numbers not perform as well when they do in the small samples. But when you have a player whose production stays where it's at and when given the heightened role, that's a sign that this guy could be really elite. It's what we saw with Byron Murphy his freshman year, and he continued on that pace. And the coverage numbers for Derek Williams Jr. look the same. Jonathan Brooks was the same. We talked about that last year with Jonathan Brooks. Yep. Just the more he plays, he'll, he'll probably produce at that same clip. But as we close that conversation, uh, Rod, I know Dwayne Aquina talked about the five-tool DB. He tried to get the five-tool DB, the importance of the five-tool DB. Can you fill in the blank, Rod, the Coach Aquina-ism? It's a what if someone calls you a cover corner? Oh, it's an insult, man. Yeah. It's an insult. No, he don't like that. He's, it's an insult. Now he wants you to be a – he wants you to be an all-around football player, and that's where he came up with his his five-two DB, a guy that can do every damn thing out there. And I mean, that's everybody strives to be that. I strive to be a great five-two DB 
in my time at Texas too. I played nickel. I played corner. It took everybody. I think guys took pride in moving around and having to keep the secondary. Yeah, I need to. I need to bump into Dwayne Aquina again because it's been a it's been a few years since I last ran into Coach Aquina. But you just feel better about life when you're around Dwayne Aquina. I don't know why. Amen to that, brother. Amen yeah. to that. Yeah. Don't you, Rod? You just feel like positive, right? Like you just. Oh man, he's got yeah. a he's got a spirit that is it's 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 something remarkable because. It lights up rooms, and he feeds off of it. That's why yeah. he wanted to be back out coaching. He didn't like being an analyst because his spirit feeds off being around other people, and that's what he wanted to do. Uh, he's, uh, he's great at it. I hope I hope everybody in life can love someone or something as much as Dwayne Aquino loves football. That'd be Amen we'd all be that. we'd all be better for it. Uh, this shouldn't take long, guys. I know we're up against it, but the fourth piece that I really wanted to talk about the Longhorn related thing from the Super Bowl is uh it's Quinn Ewers and it is it's that that level a quarterback gets to now I think we've seen we're seeing Quinn I really believe in the process of going from good to great but then there's that that next step you take when it went great and you step over to elite uh and elite to me means can you elevate everybody around you does everybody believe that hey if you've got time on the clock and you've got the ball I don't know how, but this guy's going to go make us a play that wins us the game. To me, that is the next step for Quinn Ewers. And, Rod, I don't think that's a, that's an, uh, an outlandish expectation for a guy with Quinn's pedigree, with his raw talent, to get to that point. It's just a matter of will he do it in 2024. And I'll preface – I'll not preface, but I'll, I'll add on to it by saying this – does Texas there's a question does Texas have the best quarterback in the SEC in 2024 it's at least debatable and I think they might yeah it is debatable um and he may be prove he may prove to be the best quarterback in SEC and if that's the case he'll be Heisman finalist mm-hmm. uh, uh which he also that's the expectation right I mean he's got the kind of potential to be a one one guy yeah one one baby that's it's I mean at, at quarterback, that's as high as it gets. You'd be the first one drafted overall. He's got that kind of potential. Will he be that? Can he can he accomplish that? He's got a long way to go. Yeah. Mm, but it's it, it the there's no doubt he's got that kind of ceiling if he can hit it, if he can tap into it, and he's at the perfect place to do it. And uh this is the perfect year to do it, actually. Mm-hmm. It seems like uh there's been a lot of change and turnover in college football with Nick Saban retiring, and we know, you know, it kind of feels like NIL, new uh, new law of the land, uh, is actually benefiting Texas and new transfer pool, that kind of stuff. This would be the time to do it. So I can't wait to see if he achieves. I mean, he's going to be a first round pick, I think. Uh, but can he be a one one guy, one yeah. one baby, first one overall? Ooh, that's different. Yeah, that's where like the measurables of a guy like Carson Beck, he may be a little bit of your more statuesque of a guy. But if you look at just what they've done on the field, you'd have to say accolade wise and production wise, Car- uh, Quinn's definitely the best quarterback. Like you have Jalen Milrow, also a guy that was a Heisman finalist last year. So you got to throw him in. But if we're going just off of the Vegas odds right now, Quinn's, tied with Beck for the best odds. They're both at seven and a half to one. So plus 750 for Quinn and for Beck. Dylan Gabriel's at 10 to one, tied with Will Howard at 10 to one. And then Milrose like at 12 to one. Nussmeyer, who's going to be at LSU's at 18 to one. He's tied with Jackson Dart. 
and Cam Ward at 20 to 1 and Wegman, the Aggie guy at 20 to 1 with Riley Leonard, who's now at Notre Dame at 20 to 1. So that's sort of your rundown of all the quarterbacks nationally, but of the guys in the SEC, yeah, writing on the wall, history, even head to head matchups, like it's hard to find one better than Quinn. Yeah, I like I like Jackson Dart at Ole Miss a lot. Um, but you know, Rod, you you brought up the one one thing. I mean, you think about the guy that's about to go one one in Caleb Williams, and you think about some of the other one ones that we've seen. Uh, you know, it, it'll be you know two in a row. Go back to the twenty twenty two lost Alabama. If Bryce Young doesn't make a couple of plays, just pulling the rabbit out of the hat, Texas wins that game. It's just there. Every other quarterback Texas plays gets sacked by Ryan Watts, probably except Bryce Young, who stepped out of it. Uh, go back to the 2021 game against Oklahoma. Texas was running away with that game, and then Caleb Williams made just a handful of just inexplicable plays that got OU back in the game and eventually won them the game. That's the stuff we're talking about with Quinn Ewers. Can you make that play? in the face of, oh, man, everything looks dire, and it's, wow, our guy just did that. That's the kind of stuff, Rod, I think you're talking about when uh, when you talk about a 1-1 guy and what they do. Yeah, yeah I mean, it goes back to full circle to our initial conversation, right? Can you put the cape yep. on, baby? You won't be 1-1. Mm -hmm. They want to see if you can put the cape on. Caleb Williams, oh, he put the cape on. Yeah. He put it on right in front of Texas fans. We saw it, <laughs> and we were like, what the? And when yeah. the guy can put the cape on, it changes the game. I mean, that was mm. the largest, that was the biggest meltdown and collapse in the history of Texas football. Why? That other dude had the cape. Yeah. Bro, that's, 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 we all looking for it. That's what we all looking for. I mean, oh, Mahomes. Yeah, Mahomes. I mean, shoot, Joe Burrow, Kyler yeah. in the Big 12 championship game. We saw it. Baker. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've seen, we've, we've seen a lot of guys. The only, one that, the only one that didn't do it to Texas was Mahomes. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. That was thanks uh, to Quandre Diggs, basically. Chris Chris Boyd Chris Boyd got him in the end zone. Mahomes did win that Thanksgiving game. Remember that weird Thanksgiving game where Jakeem Grant catches the touchdown off the ricochet yeah, and Chris Chris Warren good. goes for almost three hundred yards. Oh yeah. yeah, I do remember that. That's uh that's a forgotten one, but uh, I always like referencing it anyway. All right, well, well that's a good place to stop for this week. We will pick it up next week. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome, Rod. Be appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Matt, for Rod, for everybody at 24-7 Sports, the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network, and the Horns 24-7 Podcast Feed, where you can get Longhorn Blitz each and every week. Anywhere you get your podcasts, search Horns 24-7. It's Horns 247, no dashes, slashes, or spaces. Click that follow button. Get every episode when it drops. And thanks to Matt, get all of our archives. Our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. For the Horns 24-7 family, for the Longhorn Blitz family, I am Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the show? Opportunity. Everybody get down! A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply.